0: Everyone online, everybody at Pacala Church and in Bishopville, we are in this message series entitled Decide or Default. It's based on this very simple idea. Either you will decide to develop your soul or that decision will default to someone else. Do you want someone else to be making decisions about your soul? So I want to tell you a story about when I was a pastor in Louisville. Uh, there was a lady in our church named Ruby Pollard. Ruby had a lot of health problems, and she um, was in the hospital for another surgery. I went to see her, and when I went in, she was just talking about how much pain she was in, how hard the surgery had been, and so I said, Ruby, I'd like to pray for you. What, what do you want me to pray with you about? And she looked at me like I was nuts. And I was like, I want you to pray that I'll be healed. Which I kind of figured would be the answer, and before I can really... Even start to pray. She said, You know, it's just so hard. Physical therapy is too hard, Pastor. It's just too hard. I don't want to do it, so pray I'll be healed. I think Ruby's response actually reflects the way a lot of us think. We want to be well, we just don't want to do the things that we have to do to be well. And so today, I want us to wrestle with this question about soul development Do I want to be healed? Do I really want to be healed? And to help us think about this, we are going to be looking at John chapter 5. And in this passage, we are going to look at, there are going to be five key ideas for us to focus on. And the five ideas are these Do you realize that you're sick? How do you respond to an invitation to be well? How do you reframe your thinking about God's healing? How do you refocus your life after you're healed? And finally, how do you re And I know some of you think re-hope is not a word, but it is today. Can we just agree? Rehope is a word today. Now, a little bit of background of what's going on. In the city of Jerusalem in Jesus's time, north of the temple area, there was this place called Bethesda. And there were two pools there And there were five porches or porticos built around those pools. From time to time, the piping system that fed the pool would get air in it and it would bubble. And they thought that this was an angel coming down from heaven and the water would get troubled. And the idea was first person into the water gets healed. Do you think it created a sense of competition? Imagine there there are probably hundreds of people who have tried every doctor, every kind of medicine. They're hanging out by the pool, everybody's eyes on the water. And when the water stirs, it's like Baptists making a dash for fried chicken. The competition is on. And so one day Jesus passes through this area. This is where we pick up the story in verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, John doesn't tell us what's wrong with him, just that he has an incapacitating illness. And he tells us that he's been there 38 years. To help you understand what this is like for this man, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this man had been at the pool already three to four years. Do you think he's still got hope? Or maybe he's just there out of habit? Do you think he's still thinking one day I'm going to make it in that pool? Do you think he really wants to be well? We do know that he realizes he is sick. He knows it. Do you know it? Do you realize you're sick? Now, before you quickly go, well, yeah, I'm over 40, I'm sick, I know that. Now, if you're under 40, your body doesn't hurt. But let me tell you, when you get over 40, things start to hurt that didn't used to hurt. So let's not just think about our illness in terms of our physical bodies, because we actually believe you're a soul. It's not that you have a soul, you are a soul. Your soul consists of your body, yes, yes. Your body is your physical energy. It's also the place of your appetites and desires. Your soul also consists of your relationships, the people that you relate to, even your relationship with God. Your soul consists of your mind where you have thoughts and feelings. You can think and you feel and do this weird dance inside your mind. And then your soul consists of your heart or your will where you make decisions. So let's do an inventory. Are your relationships healthy? Do, do you have a grudge against anybody? Somebody you need to forgive. Is there somebody that you define as your enemy that you're not loving? Do you overfunction for anybody? Do you underfunction in a relationship? Is there abuse? Do you try to control the people in your life? Are your relationships healthy? Second question: Is your body healthy? Do you have a sickness, an illness? Do you have an addiction? Addiction is what happens when an appetite or a desire takes control of your soul. It becomes your focus. It's what you think about. It becomes your priority. It is a real disease. Your body can be sick when you are a hypochondriac. When you think you're sick, but you're not really sick, then that becomes a sickness. Your body can be sick when you don't eat right. Do you exercise? Do you have something in your body that just honestly hurts, a disease that you're fighting? Is your body healthy? Let's talk about your mind. Is your mind healthy? As we said, your mind has thoughts and feelings, so we know that mental health illness is real. People can have a chemical imbalance in their body, and that leads to their mind not functioning correctly. You can have clinical depression. You can have chronic anxiety. That's something that is unhealthy in your body, in your mind. Craig Rochelle has written a great book. He's a pastor, and, and he wrote this book called uh, Winning the Battle in Your Mind. I, I highly recommend it. And I love what Craig says. About the power of thought. If you believe a lie is true, you will live your life as though that truth is real. And this is duh, but think about that. How many th- thoughts do you have that are untrue that govern your life? Like you're not enough. That that you don't matter. That you're not important. Some of you have thoughts about it being too important. And then, what about your feelings? What about emotional trauma? What about a sense of of being out of control with anger? How healthy is your mind? Let's talk about your decisions. You ever make unhealthy decisions? Let's just have a little reality check, shall we? How many of you have ever made an unhealthy decision? How many of you have ever made an unhealthy decision this last week? I'm not going to ask about today, but my hunch is some of you have already got a head start, right? An unhealthy decision is when you keep doing something and expect a different result. An unhealthy decision is when you continue to choose that which destroys your soul. So I hope by now you are realizing (laughs) that most of us have a part of our soul that's unhealthy at any given time. You say, well, that's kind of depressing. No, it's just true. Now, the biblical phrase for this is, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means all of us are broken. All of us have some unhealth that we need to face. Do you realize that you're sick? Now, here's another great way to kind of measure this for you. Ask yourself regularly, where is my soul? Where in my soul do I feel powerless? Where in my soul do I feel powerless? Those of you familiar with 12 steps, you recognize this. You can't get well until you realize I've got a problem. And by the way, if you say, well, I just can't think of any problem, ask the people closest to you. Ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask your friends. Hey, do you think there's any place in my soul where I'm powerless? Then get comfortable. You'll be there a while. Okay, so this man knows he's powerless. He knows he's sick. Watch what happens next, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Jesus knows he's been there. Jesus knows that this guy probably has stopped waiting to be healed, and he's really now waiting to die. But when Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? he's really asking something bigger, isn't he? You see, in this man's case, if you were there at the pool of Bethesda, people, Jews would come by and, and they would offer you food. That was part of their worship. They would offer, you know, shelter or their leftover clothes or something. You didn't have to take responsibility for your life. If this man gets healed, he may have to find a job. He may have to figure out how to get some food for himself, how to get shelter for himself. You know, Ruby, who I told you about at the first of the sermon, she was married to Frank. Frank did everything. Frank cleaned the house, cooked the food, washed the clothes. And you think, what a wonderful husband. No. Frank was one of the most bitter people I've ever known in my life. But you know what? Their relationship it, it kind of did this dance where Frank felt like he had a right to be bitter and Ruby felt like she had a right to be sick. I'm not sure Ruby wanted to be well. That would mean she had to cook. She had to clean. She had to wash her clothes. She had to take responsibility for her life. So how about you? How do you respond to the question, do you want to be well? Now, before you answer yes, I want you to just think with me. Let's just take for an example, just an example, that you have an unhealthy relationship. If you say, I want that relationship to be better, it might mean you have to understand that person. Might have to understand why they're angry. It might mean you have to forgive them. And you kind of like being mad at them. I was doing marriage counseling with this couple once he had had an affair, and they were in my office. She was on one end of the couch, and he was on the other end. And he just looked like a whipped dog, which you can understand, right? And she was sitting there. Well, you could just feel the ice coming off of her. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, I will never forgive him, never. And with all my great counseling skill, I said, never and she said never I wish in that moment I had thought to say do you want to be well because when you say I will never forgive we're not talking now about the survivability of the marriage we're talking about the health of your soul because if you choose not to forgive someone what do you think that's going to do to that woman's soul do you think this is going to be healthy Or do you think it's going to be acid? So here's a helpful tool. Listen to the excuses you make for your unhealth. Listen to the excuses you make for your unhealth. Now, if you can't think of any, let me offer you some of mine. I'm too busy. I'm too busy to exercise, to eat right. I'm too busy to pick up the phone and call that person. I've even got a better excuse than you. I'm too busy doing God's work. Maybe this excuse, I'm too hurt, I'm too hurt. That person has hurt me so much. Or it's too hard, kind of like Ruby. It's too hard, it's too hard. I don't want to do this too hard. Or maybe this is popular. This is just the way I feel. It's just the way I feel. It's almost like your feelings are, did anybody see the movie uh, with Sigourney Weaver, Alien? You remember that? How the thing comes out of the guy's chest? It's a great scene. <laughs> if you haven't shown it to your children, please do. It'll give them nightmares. <laughs> Gave me nightmares. Anyway, what, what, my love, that's a lot of us that think that that's what feelings are. This this thing that lives in our chest, all of a sudden it pops out and we have no control over it. That's a lie. Do you want to be well? So you've got to think about how I respond to that question. Now, there's something real important here. When Jesus asked the man, do you want to be well? He's indicating that he wants the man to be well. Jesus wants this man to have a healthy soul. Your heavenly father wants you to have a healthy soul. And the, the, the tragedy is, for most of us, God wants us to have a healthier soul more than we want to have a healthier soul. The whole reason Jesus came to die for our sins and the reason he was resurrected was so your soul could be healed. And so you could have a relationship with your heavenly father unencumbered by your sin. Now, the invalid's response is to offer an excuse. And it's valid, isn't it? Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I want you to listen to how this man thinks about his life. Like all effective excuses, it's half right and half destructive. What's his excuse? There's nobody to help me. There's nobody to help me. It's not my fault. I'm just sitting here. You know, my brother, he came and hung out for a month, and then he went back to his wife and children. If he'd stayed here the 38 years when the water was troubled, he could have helped me. It's not my fault. You think that's right? So what Jesus does is he reframes the man's understanding of healing. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus is saying it doesn't take a pool of water to bring the miracle of God. Never confuse the means of God's healing with God's power in the healing. God can use medicine. God can make a miracle. I've had people tell me, I don't believe in taking medicine, I believe in prayer. Well, that's great. I'm gonna pray that God gives you enough sense to take the medicine. The man who had cancer once said to me, Pastor, I'm going to take God's healing any way he wants to send it. So look what happens. Verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The, The phrase in Greek actually reads like this. Immediately, the man was made whole. What was broken in his body got healed. That's what healing does. Do you need God to reframe how you think about an illness? Let me say that again. Do you need God to reframe how you think about anything that's unhealthy in your soul? Whether it's a relationship, something in your body, something in your mind, or some decision that you make. Neurologists who study our brains say that there is something in our brains called neuroplasticity. That means your brain has the ability to think different thoughts. Now, most of us, we get in ruts, and it's helpful, right? None of you had to concentrate this morning, I hope, on saying, what do I do with my toothbrush? Right? You've got a rut there that works for you, right? Right? Well, I see some of you, please don't breathe on me, right? You got that. You don't have to think about it. You just put the toothpaste on. You start brushing your teeth. You just do it. That is a rut that works for you, but you've got some that don't. When you devalue yourself, when you say that person will never change, when you say I just give up hope, what you need to do is dig a new trench out of your rut, neuroplasticity, and steer your thoughts in a different direction. This is why spiritual disciplines matter. They form new pathways in your mind. There are four key spiritual disciplines that Jesus talked about. The first is prayer. So when you have something in your life that is not healthy, here's a helpful prayer to pray. You might want to write this down. Heavenly Father, how should I think about this illness? How should I think about this thing that's not healthy? So I've got this relationship that's not healthy. Heavenly Father, how should I think about this? Not just fix it. Help me to know how to think about it, how to understand it. Help me get a new pathway, a new neural pathway in my brain. Here's something I know that God will always tell you. God will always tell you to deal in reality, and he will always tell you to walk by faith. Let's talk about the basic spiritual discipline of Bible study. Why should you read your Bible? You should read your Bible because it introduces new thoughts that radically challenge your neural pathways. So, for example, Philippians 4, 12 through 13. Paul's in prison. Let me just pause. How many of you would be happy in prison? Anybody? No, it's not a happy place. Paul's in prison. Listen to what he says. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Do you hear what Paul's saying? I'm in jail. I'm not miserable. Paul had steered his thoughts in a new direction. Because Paul is saying, my contentment is not in my condition, but in my connection. Could some of you stand to have that redirected in your brain? That's why Bible study matters. Let's talk about fasting. Not a popular spiritual discipline among among Baptists. Fasting is detoxing your soul from something that interferes in your relationship with God. In the Bible, it was most often food. People obsessed about food because food was in short supply. Some of you, you need to detox from some substance, from maybe food. L- let me tell you, I think the number one place in our lives today we need to detox, social media. So I want to give you a challenge. For every hour you spend on social media, spend an hour in prayer. Now, let's just test this out, see if you think. How many of you think spending more time on social media will make your soul healthy? Nobody. It's designed to be addictive. It's designed to do damage to your soul. How many of you think spending more time in prayer will make your soul healthier? You're in church. you got to raise your hand for prayer, right? So fast from social media, or at least cut it back. Now, here's the last one, last core spiritual habit, that's giving. I know some of you say, you talk about giving all the dang time because it's such an important spiritual discipline. Jesus said where your your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Because when you're ill, let me tell you what happens. When any part of your soul is ill, that's what you focus on, right? Giving reminds you there's more to your life than what's not healthy. Years ago, when we were still in the old building at the early service, Mr. Ed Lewis, older man, tall, I'm preaching, Mr. Ed slowly rolls back and falls over. It was not a movement of the spirit. He was having a heart episode. So we stop the service. We start praying. Someone calls 911. The guys come and they get Mr. Ed onto the gurney and they're about to roll him out. And Mr. Ed, I can hear him. I'm I'm up to the front. I can hear him say, no, I I don't want to leave yet. I don't want to leave yet. I went, Mr. Ed, you got to go to the hospital. You got to go to the hospital. No, I can't go yet. I haven't given my offering. Never forget that. Mr. Ed knew he was more than his illness. He still needed to give. That's why spiritual disciplines matter. So give this invalid some credit, right? He allows Jesus to reframe his understanding that God can work. He doesn't need the water. And when he is made whole, he has to do something he hasn't done in 38 years. Stand up. I can just imagine he looks like a brand new calf. Kind of wobbly. He had not done this in a while, but he does it. He does it he found out the water didn't have to move for God to heal him. Now, attached to this is something that sounds strange to our ears, but it's real important. Last part of verse 9 going on. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who'd been healed, it is the Sabbath the law forbids you to carry your mat. He replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. It's kind of funny when you think about it. Jesus wasn't interested in getting credit. Why do I think this is important for us? John includes these details because he's trying to reframe our understanding It's an understanding we still have trouble with, but it was really rampant in Jesus' day. You see, what they had done is take some basic instructions from God and they had expanded it into an impossible set of rules you had to follow to be right with God. That's what religion does. Religion gives you rules. Jesus came to offer relationship. Some of the absurd OCD rules that they had about the Sabbath, you couldn't carry a needle on the Sabbath. That's work. If you had false teeth... You couldn't wear them on the Sabbath. That's work. It means you got to gum your grits. If you had a wooden leg, you couldn't use it on the Sabbath. That's work. Anybody think that's crazy? Anybody think there's still some religious rules that people set up that are crazy? It's about relationships. See, keeping the rules never makes anybody right with God. Now, rules are important. I know, I know, I know. But it's about do you have the relationship with God? And, and, and John includes this, this episode, this understanding, so that we will get the fact Jesus is reframing a bigger question. When he's asking this man to be healed, when he heals this man, and when he does it on the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, look, I have come so that there can be something for people, not so we ask something from people. There's a reason God asks you to do something. Now, after this, Jesus runs into the man again in the temple. The guy's probably gone to the temple to give God thanks. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus is putting to this man a pivotal question. What are you going to do with your miracle? What are you going to do with your healing? Let's say God answers your prayer. You get healed. What are you going to do with it? This is so important. We talk around here all the time about everyone has a next step. So let's say that you get healed. You got something wrong with your body. God heals you. Maybe it's medicine. Maybe it's divine intervention. You are healed. Next question, what are you going to do next? What's your next step? Well, I I think a good prayer to pray is, Heavenly Father, what's my next step? God, I prayed that we had trouble in our marriage and you heal the marriage and, and we're still together. Well, what's the next step? Maybe I've got to rethink how I'm a husband, how I'm a wife. Hey, 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 God, you healed my body. What's my next step? God may say, well, you're not all the way done, rest. Or God may say, glad you asked. Now that you're healed, we need to work on your thought life. Well, again, when I was pastor in Louisville, there was a guy in our church who needed a heart transplant. And he was in the hospital for over a year. Same room. Imagine. And every time I went to see this guy, and I saw him every week for a year, he would always tell me the same thing. He would say, Pastor, when I get my new heart, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to be at church every time the doors are open. If you need floor swept, you just call me. When I get my new heart, I'm living for Jesus. I never forget the phone call. They found a heart. It's on its way. I got there. I prayed with the family. He was already in surgery. I saw him the next day in ICU. You could do that. Then I went to visit him in rehab. Still, he said, "I'm so thankful God has given me my new heart. I'm so grateful God's answered my prayer." And and i never forget the Sunday he came to church. The whole church had been praying for him for over a year, and we celebrated. We, we, everybody was crowded around him, and they were, you know, gently patting him on the back because, you know, open-heart surgery. And, and everybody was just rejoicing, and i never forget. He goes out the door and says, Pastor, I'm just so thankful God's given me a new heart. Never saw him again. God gave him the miracle, but he never asked what's the next step. Well, what about you? How many prayers have you prayed? And God's answered those prayers. Did you pray? Well, God, now what? Maybe sometimes God says, how about a thank you? For this man, his next step is to stop sinning. It's hard to believe that a man who's been an invalid for 38 years could be real active as a sinner, but apparently he was. Jesus is saying, hey, there's something worse than physical illness, it's sin. And, and we tend to trivialize sin, maybe, maybe because we really don't understand sin is cancer of your soul. It will lie to you, it will make you focus on comfortable and shiny things, it will rob you of joy, it will steal your hope, It will cause you to harbor hate in your life and justify it. Sin is a powerful cancer that's eating your soul. It's serious. And maybe you need to hear Jesus' words too. Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. So stop the affair. Quit lying to yourself that you're not an abuser. Admit the truth. You're a porn addict. Deal with the prejudice and hatred in your heart. Quit being the victim. Stop sinning. Something worse will happen. I mean, just think with me. Just think. Just think with me. Does it make any sense at all to say, God got me out of that jam? But I think I'll let this cancer eat away at me a little longer. You want a doctor like that? Why would you do that to yourself? You need to refocus your life on God's way. That's what Jesus is saying to this man. Refocus your life. Focus on what God can do. Focus on your next step. You may not be able to do anything about this pattern of sin, but God can. Resurrection means Jesus can break the power of any sin you have. Verse 15, the man went away, told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, remember what a big deal that is? The Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now Jesus here is claiming to be the same as the father. That's really big. It's ultimately going to get him crucified. But there's something else. Jesus says, my father's still working. Jesus says, I'm working too. Jesus' miracle working didn't stop the day he died. It just started on the day of his resurrection. Jesus wants you to re-hope. But the same power that got this man up off his Back after 38 years is the power that's available to you and to me. Now, I do need to tell you, not every miracle happens here on earth. God sees our lives through an eternal lens. That's why we have the hope of heaven. Not every right gets, not every wrong gets righted here on earth. But in heaven, there are no more bad decisions. And guess what? You do make decisions in heaven. In heaven, you don't have any more mixed up emotions. Whew. You don't have any more twisted up thoughts. In heaven, your body is perfect. Absolutely perfect. I want you to think about that. In heaven, there's no tension in relationships. None. Zero. Zip. You're at peace with everybody. Heaven is the place of ultimate miracles. But the miracle work of God starts here. That's why all of this really doesn't make sense unless you give your life to Jesus Christ. Unless you say, I'm going to put my hope in you, Jesus. I I want you to forgive my sins. Take control, control of my life. I give it to you. So here's what I want to invite you to do. This is the way we're going to end the service today. I want you to think about one place that you want your soul healed. I want you to start praying a prayer even now, Heavenly Father. Here is one place in my soul that I want healed. Now maybe you're saying I got a dozen. Don't don't focus on the dozen. Let's think about the one. And it doesn't even have to be the biggest one. Maybe it's a small one. I've got I've got a problem in this relationship it needs to be healed. I've got, <laughs> I got a problem in my body right now. I needs to be healed. I, I, I've, I've, I've got some thoughts that are destructive. I've got some emotions that are out of control. I've got some unhealthy decisions that I have made, and I, I need healing. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And then if you're watching online, there's a link that's going to come up, and you can click on that link and you can go to an online prayer chat room. And I, I want you to do that. And just say, you can type in, I want, a, I want prayer for healing. Maybe, you, maybe it's not even for you, maybe it's somebody else. Somebody else you know who needs some healing. And if you're in the room, both here and Pacala, there's going to be pastors and deacons here at the front. And we're simply going to invite you to slip out from your seat and come forward and just say, I, you can just say to one of us, I want healing. You don't have to tell us what for. If you want to, that's okay, but you don't have to. And maybe, maybe you're not going to ask for you. Maybe you're going to ask for somebody else. Hey, I, there's, there's someone that I know and I love, and they need healing in a relationship. They, they need, they've got some self-destructive thoughts. But I want you to approach this time with this attitude, I want to be well. I want to be well. If you pray that prayer to Jesus, what's he going to say to you? He's going to say, I want you to be well too. And then he's going to guide you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I first want to pray for people who don't know Jesus. God, because this healing work is really not going to work unless they have you in their lives. So I pray that they would accept you as Savior and Lord. Now, Father, I know there's many people who are watching, many people who are in the room. They have a relationship with you, but there's part of their soul that's really unhealthy and they need healing. God, would you bring healing to them? Whether it's a relational healing, bodily healing, mind healing, decision healing, bring healing through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we we can't control the timing. We trust you with the timing. But we ask for the healing power of resurrection to pour out on us now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.